Pray with me. Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. All this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. I speak to you now in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, it was May 8th, 1945, when the Axis powers surrendered to the Allied powers and the Great War was over. And you would think, uh, after a great war like this, uh, after World War II, at the end of World War II, you would think there would be a time of, of peace, a great peace. But those soldiers who had to fight in the Cold War knew it to be something completely different knew it to be a time that was stressful, time where they were constantly on high alert, time where they were always preparing for the enemy that they couldn't see. Perhaps that is the most stressful of all, preparing for an enemy that you you can't see because you train, but then you kind of lose the the application. What are we preparing for? In the beginning, you're all excited and, and ready to go to war, and then not so much. You kind of get lackadaisical. At least this was the testimony of, of many of the soldiers who were interviewed when they were during the, uh, during the time of the Cold War. And in the beginning, everything was hot and heavy, and they were ready, and they took up arms, and they were ready to, to fight against the Soviet Union. There was the arms race and the race to space and all of these things. They were arming of nuclear bombs and all these things, and then nothing. They were going and going and going. Nothing. They have a phrase in the army that says, hurry up and wait. These soldiers had waited so long that they had kind of lost their effectiveness. That's kind of kind of similar to to today. We're we're gearing up in a political political season. We're gearing up for war, but we don't know where we're going. We haven't declared war yet. We're we're, we're gearing up and you see mass uh, show of force and all of these things, but, but nothing actually happening yet. A forward general, uh, one two-star general who was downrange, he, he, he read a statement to the rest, of the, uh, rest of the troops back home and he said he was worried. He was worried because he saw uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of, even though there was no conflict, he saw a lot of life, lives being lost. The thing that alarmed him, though, was that it wasn't privates who were, who were losing their lives, but these were senior soldiers. People who have been there, done that, have gotten a combat patch, and, and are supposed to train the younger soldiers and mentor them. But you see, they had kind of been, become stressed and lackadaisical, and, and they forgot the small things. And there were many accidents, many deaths, not because of the war itself, but because of their preparation. Many accidents happened, and, and people kind of got injured that way. Many people were going home. It was a time of great stress, even today. Well, this is kind of what's going on in our gospel text, our epistle lesson today. Paul is, is writing, and he is in prison. He is surrounded by Roman guards. And so he uses this military language. He uses uh, things, he, when he's writing to Timothy, he uses uh, things, stand firm in the faith and suffer like a good soldier. Fight the good fight of faith. He uses these, these military uh, pictures so that people could kind of understand. And we see where he gets it from because, he, again, he is under guard. He's got a Roman soldier in front of him. And our lesson today kind of unpacks uh, the armor, uh, 
that, that a Christian ought to have. An armor that, that simulates that of a, of a soldier. If you go in your uh, Bibles with me or in your bulletins uh, to Ephesians chapter 6. To Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is getting ready to... He, uh, his time is coming to an end and he realizes that he has more days behind him than he does in front of him. And his job as an apostle, his job as the pastor, is to prepare the church for when he's not there anymore. His job is to get them ready. He wants to remind them that they are fighting a real enemy. An enemy not of flesh and blood, but an enemy that is a spiritual one. And if you're not careful, you could think that we can, as Christians, if we're not careful, we think that we could fight this enemy on our own power. But Paul says, absolutely not. He says, if you're going to fight this enemy, you're going to need something more. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 10 in chapter 6 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Notice he didn't say, be strong in yourself. But be strong in the Lord. You see, you can't do this on your own. If you're going to be a Christian, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. So he said, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. He's saying the real enemy is not not the people at your job that get on your nerves. They sanctify you, but they're not the real enemy. It's not your kids that that get on your nerves. They sanctify you. The real enemy is the devil. It's not the person you don't like. It's, it's, It's the devil. It's the devil himself. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil in the day of evil, having all you and having done all stand firm. Stand firm in what? Not necessarily what, but stand firm in who? Again, he's echoing this point that if we're going to do battle against the devil, because the devil is a real enemy, and I know we can't see him, but the devil is a real enemy. Paul lets us know that. He says you have to stand firm, again, in God, not in your own power, but in Christ Jesus. He says, stand firm, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod, the preparation of the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith that you might be able to distinguish to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. This armor, it's nice. But if you've ever seen a Christian, you haven't really seen them walk around with armor. I haven't. Have you? And so what what here is Paul talking about? This armor that we're to put on if we're going to be doing battle? What is he talking about? I've never seen a Christian walk around with a sword. Never seen a Christian with the blessed trait of righteousness. I haven't seen it. Maybe I'm... I know I'm young. Maybe, maybe you guys have. I, I haven't seen it yet. So what, what is Paul talking about? Well, many scholars believe that Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit 
And he's using this analogy to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Arm yourself with the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. What is he saying? Arm yourself with Christian character. Arm yourself with Christian character. Make sure that your life is hidden in Christ and that your life reflects the life of Jesus Christ. That you are living as Christ would have you to live. That you are indeed little Christs, little Christians, little Christs. That you are indeed his representatives in the world. We ought to live our lives in such a way that we ought not put the gospel of God to shame. He says, this is our defense against the evil one, that we live rightly, that we do justice, that we continue the mission of God, that we prepare ourselves, that we stand firm in God. Notice these soldiers, these Christians, none of this, they're, 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 none of this they're doing in their own power. Everything, they, everything they're doing is through the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. They're standing in the faith. What faith? The faith that they have received from Jesus Christ. The faith that they have heard preached to them. What are they putting on? They are putting on literally not, not, not armor, but they're literally putting on Christ. Christ's character, his virtue. And this is the weapon that we have as Christians against the devil. Christ himself, who the scripture says has this in Colossians chapter 2, that Christ has disarmed the rulers and the authorities of this world, putting them to shame by triumphing, openly triumphing over them. Excuse me. Openly triumphing over them. How did he do that? Through his cross. Through his cross. Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ won for us the victory, and we share in that. Our defense is Christ. Our banner is Christ. Our weapon is the word of God. Scriptures. He goes on. We'll start at verse 16. He says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, is, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, take on, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I found that very interesting because I haven't seen, uh, well, I, I, I take that back, I have seen, I've seen Christians beat people up, over, beat people over the head with the scriptures. I've seen people use the Bible as a weapon, as a means of judgment, but that's not what, that's not what Paul is talking about here. When he's talking about using the word, the sword, of, the word of God as a sword, he's talking about the gospel. Having, being ready to preach the gospel in season and out of season, always ready to give a defense for the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, because you have put on Jesus Christ, being prepared to do battle, being prepared to proclaim the gospel at all times and all places to anyone who would ask. He goes on, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and with all supplication. What is he talking about there? Is he talking about uh, uh, speaking in tongues? Is he talking about praying in the spirit in some unknown language? I don't know. I don't know. Scholars go back and forth about all of this and, and, and it's, it is, is 
uh, praying in the Spirit and, and, and speaking another language, is that a real thing? Sure it is. But I think what Paul here is really getting after is praying in accordance with the Spirit. Making sure that when you pray, you're not praying your will, but you're praying God's will. After all, this is the proper context of, of this verse. Everything that the soldiers have, have been doing has been in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're going to pray in the Spirit, you must pray according to the Spirit, which means you must know the will of God. How do you know the will of God? You get to know His Word. You get familiar with the mind and the heart of God by knowing His Word. And you pray like Jesus prayed. Your will be done, not mine. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, not mine. You see, Christian prayer in the Spirit is, a, is prayer that is yielded and surrendered to Jesus Christ. The scriptures say that it's no longer us that live, but it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And if our lives are lived through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ, then our prayers and our voice ought to be hidden in Christ as well. So that when we pray, God the Father hears his own words. After all, this is what Jesus did. He says, I do nothing of my own power, but I do everything, everything that I do, I do it in a, in a, with authority given to me uh, from the Father. Everything I say, I don't say anything unless I hear it first from the Father. Jesus Christ has hidden his voice, has hidden his words in the Father's words. And we too are to hide our voice in Christ. He goes on, he says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. That means pray for one another. And also for me, Paul says, that the words given to me, uh, that the words being given, to, being given to me and opening my mouth, that I may boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador and in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What is Paul saying? That's the summation of Paul's life right there. He knows that he doesn't have much time left. But he is praying not for himself, but he is praying for the furtherance of the gospel. He reminds those Christians who he's writing to, and even us today, that that's the, really, that's the thing that really matters. It's not about how much stuff we have. It's not about how much things we can amass. None of that actually matters because we aren't taking any of that stuff with us. Yes, we ought to pray for our loved ones and all of that. Yes, absolutely. That is God's will. He wants us to do that. He wants us to pray for each other. But at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. And our job as Christians, is to advance the kingdom of God. How do we do that? We live as Christians. Again, we put on the full armor of God. We put on Christian character. We arm ourselves. We pray for one another. And we submit to the will of God. And as Paul says, finally, we, we, we are prepared to preach the gospel at all times. That's what Christian soldiering is all about. And I'm afraid to, in today's time, 
people, our Christians, our brothers and sisters, are living beneath their privilege. Not only are they fighting an enemy that they don't believe exists in modern Christianity or modern in the modern world, the devil's not real. If the real that that's kind of outdated. That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. That we, that's that's not real. You ask people. That's kind of kind of the the sentiment that I've gotten as I was preparing. Some believe it's real. Some believe it's not. Paul says unequivocally, it is real. That we do have an enemy to fight. He's after our souls. That we can win. That in fact we have won because of Jesus Christ. First John First uh, John chapter five verse four says, "Everyone born of born of God overcomes the world." And this is our victory that He has overcome the world. How did we do that? He says through our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in Jesus Christ. It's the weapon that we have. It's the only defense we have against the enemy. That's the only defense we have in this line. Our faith. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. That's what matters. Praise God, today we have someone who is going to be baptized into the faith. Who is going to make a profession of faith to the world. And we, as her brothers and sisters, our job, Paul tells us, our job is to pray for her is to undergird her, is to make sure that she has Christian character, that she knows the love of God. Not only that God loves her, but that she knows the love of God through us. That's our job. Why? Because the kingdom of God is all that matters. That's what, that was Paul's mission. That was Jesus Christ's mission. That was the commission that he gave to his disciples. That is the faith we have received. I pray that as good soldiers, as good Christians, that we do take Paul's words very seriously. That we put on the whole armor of God. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not to scare us. Because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And in him, we are already victorious. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.